0: So welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. On this week's And Finally, Here Come the Euros <laughs> podcast. We're <laughs> featuring the group of death because the tournament's not big enough for all of them. We're considering the dark horses, including a Turkish delight and a giddy-upper-ding-dong East European style. And could Denmark be the long shot that kicks the Euros bucket again? And, oh, did I mention Covid? Well, look away now if you don't want it to rain on the Spanish plane. So here come the Euros! I
1: mean, I mean, Dawson, you are going to have to explain what the diddy up a ding dong or whatever you say. It's,
0: <laughs> it's a great song. Giddy up, giddy up a ding dong, giddy up, All right, fair giddy up a ding dong. I, but you have I to sound like so-
1: some sort of uh, Eastern European stag dude that I have not been
2: on. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer the nod to The Harder We Come, actually. But having said that, we're going to start with this group I know I can't be calling it the group of death it's, it's a group of, of life it's, yeah it's <laughs> one of one of my least favourite tournament cliches it's a group of amazing football
1: it's all well it might not be that but it might also be <laughs> oh, yeah. you ask is the tournament not big enough for? All? well the tournament is big enough for all of them all three of the big countries can go through if we're assuming Hungary lose all their games but, um, but are we assuming that Hungary have actually I mean I know they're kind of like the punchline in this group but they are undefeated in their last ten uh, which involves you know Nation League games against Turkey and and Serbia and this sort of thing having said that I think they'll lose all their games but uh, you know
2: (laughs) (laughs) but they'll do it in front of a full stadium exactly right which is going to be atmospheric As so world champions versus uh, European
0: champions who's going to win out of those two are they the two that are definitely going through by the way
2: well it's interesting isn't it because I've heard a lot of people not really make that assumption yet I mean maybe there's always a cliche about it's Dangerous to underrate Germany. Maybe for Portugal and France it is, but I think for the, the neutral observer, not so much. You know, you're pretty down on the Germans, aren't you? I, I, you? I, I am. I think the big issues I have with them: Yogi uh, Love. Um, That's a biggie, and the defense. Uh, and those, those, those are, those are two huge things that are, are difficult to get past. And you know, you th- you think that what Love did in the aftermath of. Uh, World Cup 2018 to save himself was basically throw Hummels um, Boateng and Muller under the bus to just scrape it back now it like, <laughs> exactly to look
1: <laughs> under the bus get like a, a big shovel and get the bits back I mean, put it's them like, together it's
2: like it's like McLaren <laughs> with Beckham to the power of three um, or to the power of two because he's only brought two of them back but may- maybe that would have been different if Duran Boateng would have been fit because he had a brilliant 1920 uh, season I mean, it's it's quite a climb down. There's a lot of things that don't make sense about Germany. There's a lot of talent there. There's not a great deal of focus. I have serious concerns about them. And if you're going to make a case for them, it's going to be that Leon Goretzka's going to do something amazing. It looks like he's not fit for the first game. Um, Kai Havertz is going to do something amazing. Manuel Neuer is going to do something amazing, and to be fair, if you look at even if you look at the horrendous amount of goals that Bayern Munich conceded this season, he did have a really good season, and it could have been a very different Bundesliga season if he hadn't been there. Um, I just feel that the quality of France and Portugal is is too great for them. But what's so interesting is that the the first game in this group being in Munich. Yeah. Um, Well, the 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 first game in this group that is in Munich, I should say, between France and Germany, because it has that sense of a huge, you know, a a genuine cornerstone of European football. Oh right. You know, Um, I would not be awfully surprised if France win that with some comfort. I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen, but it it wouldn't shock me.
1: Yeah, and I think if we go back to in the aftermath of the World Cup in Russia, it, it, there was the sense that Germany needs a new direction, you know, that they've gotten lost in their own sort of sideways passes mm-hmm. and that they need a new direction, a new focus and you can say you're throwing several babies out with not that much bathwater by retiring those three guys <laughs> but I thought it made a bit of sense to th- draw a line in the sand and say listen this has been a great team, we've achieved much but we have to do something else now because we've, we've gotten lost. And, and then there was this period where they played some games and they were trying to be more direct and more vertical as we like to say, hit it earlier to the fast forward which made some sense uh, but then they had some bad results and then you go back to playing in a bit more sort of possession-y way and then earlier this they're playing 4-3-3 and then you lose to Macedonia and then going into this tournament certainly the old guys are back and certainly you're playing a new formation in the two friendlies. And and listen, the way they played against Latvia, I know it's against Latvia, it doesn't really count. But the way they played, with the back four, with the back three of Rudiger, Hummels, and Ginter, and Kimmich back on the wing back, which I think is good, not just because he's a great he's a great midfielder, but you have no other good wing backs, you might as well put him there. And Kroos and Gundogan in the middle, Gosens on the left, and then the three of Müller, Nabri and Harvard. That team, I, I can see that team working. But the thing about it, it really worries me that that's the team you stumble onto in the last friendly. Yeah. It's not like this has been the plan, and this has been what they've been working towards and this is what this team is it's like they've sort of we didn't find a new direction we didn't find a new focus so we're just going to try to put the best players we can find into a blender and hopefully yogi love will figure something out on the night that feels like how they're going into it and and it could work like there's a ton of talent in this team but it it I think it's a rational thing to look at that process and feel like Germany are not coming into this with a with a head of steam. Put it that way.
0: But what you seem to both be saying, um, if I'm right, is that Germany are going to come third in this uh, group. I can imagine that. Yeah, yeah? I think so, yeah. We haven't decided who's going to come first, but it does seem from what you said, Andy, it's going to be France.
2: I, I think so, but it's not. There's not a huge gap between them and Portugal. There's a gap, but it's it's not an un- Absolute chasm. I, I think that's worth pointing out. I think with France, you know what you're going to get already. A in terms of the quality that they've got, because we we know that that's self evident. The fact that they could pick like 50 players, really of of, of the requisite quality. Mm. Um, the return of Benzema. Then you, you've got the fact that we know that there's not just the talent but they know how to actually win a tournament. They know how to play within themselves and grind out a tournament after a hard mm, season mm, or mm. A, in, in the current case, after two hard seasons. And that's that Deschamps knows how to... to one. Yeah. Is it Deschamps yeah, specifically yeah, who knows because, how to grind out? I mean, we, we have this discussion in England a lot, don't we, about why doesn't Gareth Southgate let the, these 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 players off the leash? They have that discussion in France all the time. like, And, you know, they're, they're the world champions. <laughs> but there's still that discussion of oh, when we've got this, so many great players, why don't, why don't we play more expressive football? Cause that's not how you win major tournaments. And you know, Deschamps has, has grasped that. Unfortunately for him, as well as having that ability, he has players who will really dig in and not just Olivier Giroud. You look at the amount of, uh, running that Antoine Griezmann has, you have Angola Kante, you have uh, Luca Hernandez, you have so many players like that who are prepared to just grind it out. I, I think that's, that's super important. And you know what? I look at this field and I do think it's relatively open, but the thing with France, they've not just got the best squad, they've got the most focused squad, they've got the best idea of what they're actually doing. And they don't actually have to play well to win this tournament. Mm. They, they, that's they, cr- I mean, that's that crucial. I yeah, I think yeah. it is. That is scary. I think,
1: I think we forget that, listen, we we all love like freewheeling attacking teams, but they tend not to win the international tournaments because it is a knockout competition. And... I maintain to this day that there were some games where they scored some goals. Yeah, but but France won the last Cup World Cup mainly through not messing up defensively, like they messed Absolutely. up at the back less than anyone else, and they had some outstanding individuals who will eventually get you a goal going forward. That was the recipe, right? And I understand when you look at the lineup, then you're hoping can we not like attack more because look at all the good attackers. But you know that way lies you know badness in international tournaments. I if, if there's any if looking at reasons why France might not win we do end up clutching at straws because they're so good on the paper but 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 I guess what I wonder is with this new formation they've been playing with the midfield diamond last couple of games and I guess that is uh, to to have that attacking trident of having Griezmann playing off Benzema and and Mbappe I I I wonder about width a little bit I I I wonder about because you're not you don't neither of the fullbacks are particularly attacking you know Benjamin Pavard and and Luca Hernandez both sort of if the old joke being that fullbacks are either uh, repurposed centre halves or repurposed wingers, I mean both of them are kind of closer to being centre halves than they are to being wingers. I would argue,
2: but they they can they can both come out and have a, have a little go. They, they can. I, I, I think I think that's important. And Pavar has really worked on that side of his game through playing so much right back. And Luca Hernandez, okay, he's not Teo, he's not his brother,
1: but and I would actually in that <clears throat> formation, I would almost rather have his brother. Yeah. in that position and I'm, yeah, and, and again I accept I'm clutching at straws and giving. we have a lot to get through maybe we should just move on but if we're looking for any reasons to not be optimistic on the French I worry if it gets a little bit narrow and a little bit stodgy with all those guys but as you said they don't it can be narrow and stodgy it's fine as long as they don't concede goals and they find one somewhere and with that front three they probably will
2: for me the issue is no Matuidi such an all-purpose player who played this really weird position where he was you know part inside left part left winger part auxiliary left back he's not really replaceable i think the fact that they were going to replace him with adrian rabio who i just is a quality player but just doesn't have the same um discipline and energy and just versatility really is Matweedy. I, I think that's that's a big miss but I think what's interesting in the warm-up matches is that they've played Corenton Tolisso instead mm. which gives um, Angolo Kante the the license to do all his running all over the shop that you referenced yeah, that, last week
1: that would be interesting to see Kante more as the sort of shuttler than the holder in the diamond mm. uh, just because of his mobility yeah um but moving on I think looking at Portugal obviously the squad is terrifying uh, with all with all the quality that's in that team and, and you it's almost no weaknesses there but they have pretty much the same discussions about like can we not attack some more and Fernando Santos is you know he is who he is but
0: but it, they it, have to
2: play their very best to win the tournament though unlike France don't they maybe um, I think that wasn't the case in 2016 but I think that's the weird thing the squad is so different from 2016 and you do get the impression that that, that team could veer into the top heavy, especially if they're playing four three three. 3 3 I think that's a bit of an issue. Whether, I mean, they're lucky, I guess, with Diogo Jota, who will probably start. They've got the option to morph between four four two and and four three three, 3 3 particularly if they bring Andre Silva in. But I just think the big issue for them is that, you know what you were talking about with the fullbacks last? They've got the. Opposite problem, really. Mm-hmm. W- w- if you call it a problem, yeah. in the Joao Cancel and uh, Rafael Guerrero are, are both two amazing <laughs> make, make footballers. wingbacks, right? Th- not even. I think yeah. they're just <laughs> they're they wingers. go they go where they like. Yeah, you know, you know really, really, is better when he's a central midfield player.
1: And it's the old combination <laughs> of very attack-minded fullbacks and old/slightly slash slow central defenders, which always worries me a little bit. And uh, I guess we'll get to that when we talk about Italy.
2: What are, the, yeah. Well, the, the the big issue for them is that they haven't got an informal Holding mid- midfield player mm. uh, William Cavalio's not had a good season. Um, Danilo's oscillated between centre half and uh, and defensive midfielder at Paris Saint Germain. This has been a weird old season for him there. So, quite how they're going to play that, especially if you've got off the leash players like Bruno Fernandes and um, Bernardo Silva in, in, in front. Mm. I, I, th- I think balance is a is, is a possible issue. Look on paper terrific. And we saw them uh, this week with a half and half, not even a full team against Israel, absolutely marmalized them. And the quality of them going forward was fantastic. And obviously Cristiano Ronaldo probably should have had a rest, played anyway, so he could get closer to Ali Day's record and did knock another one off. So he's on 104 goals. Now that could be one of the big things that happens in this tournament, couldn't it? Cristiano Ronaldo getting the the world record uh, international mark.
0: Yeah, but although they want to win it, Portugal want to win it. And by the way, just point of order, uh, don't worry about clutching at straws, Lash, because this is the first of our podcast, uh, Euro podcast at this stage, I think we're all allowed to clutch at straws um, to make no, it exciting, but ar- next week arguably, will be different.
1: Arguably one of the best phases of the tournament, where we've all made our predictions, and exactly. so far they're all correct. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. The brutal reality of football hasn't made us look stupid yet, which it will in the next couple of weeks. We can all sit and have plans I love this, it's great. Um, Should we
0: move on to the next? Um, no, no, I mean, we, unless but you've got but only to very on briefly.
1: Portugal. I'd like to ask Andy, what do you think the chances of Andrea Silva getting any Game time just on the basis of this incredible season he's had for Frankfurt and. I know Cristiano Ronaldo is basically a striker now, but if you give him, he does like having someone to play off. So if you give him a number nine and he can sort of drift around in that sort of left channel area where he likes to hang out and then you have Guerrero coming on the overlap there, that that seems like a good balance on the left side
2: to me. Yeah, if Guerrero's rented an extra couple of lungs, it could Mm, be a goer, couldn't it? (laughs) But I think, no, no, it's it's a really good point. And the, the fact that Andre Silva takes care of the physical side of the game so well now since he's been in Germany I think that's something that lends him to to being that sort of foil for Ronaldo but if we go right back to the start when he was still at Porto Ronaldo always loved him straight away he always found him really good to play off um, he looks for the pass as, as, as well but you know form is convincing mm. and scoring 28 goals for anyone in the Bundesliga is amazing scoring 28 goals for Eintracht Frankfurt, Frankfurt yeah. is Incredible. He must I, feel I think with, he deserves a go. Andre Silva must look at
1: like all the hype around Holland. Great as he is, and like hang on,
2: I scored one more goal than him. <laughs> yeah.
1: Where where are my Instagram followers?
0: <laughs> but it's safe to say that uh, before uh, the Portuguese team was still very much built around Ronaldo. It won't be this time around. It can't be, can it?
2: Well, they've gradually, very, very gradually moved on from from there. I mean, in 2016 already, there was an understanding that he had to be fed rather than, Mm. you know, play the the ISO, play the hero ball, be Kobe Bryant. I I think now the conversation has actually moved past that in Portugal, where you don't have to say, he's the greatest, he's the greatest, he's the greatest, he's the the best player in the world. You don't have to say it every five seconds because there is an understanding that, yeah, he is the greatest Portuguese player of all time. But there are loads of other great players in the team and loads of other players that can go and win them a game.
1: And also, like, I, I've dissed him a lot on this podcast this uh, this season and, and questioned whether he's providing value for money for Juventus and whether he can play in the modern pressing system and all this. But listen, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a team that's mm. going to be solid at the back or hope to be solid at the back. Play kind of conservatively under Santos and then the question is the question isn't whether Ronaldo can harass and harry players all day no one's going to ask him to do that the question is when a per chance presents itself which it doesn't do very often in an international tournament will he stick that one chance away and there are still very few people on the planet you'd rather back in those situations
0: hmm. than him Oh, Good. oh the What a goal what a goal What a Yeah not to so
2: last,
0: you the she mentioned Juventus a moment or two ago. Uh, so it's a good time to, and I know I'm mixing up my Eurovisions here, but it's a good time to say Eviva Italia, or possibly Espana,
2: or possibly belgica (laughs) i I, I don't know but i really enjoy the fact that on a euro special you've probably managed to really annoy fans of both milan clubs and both rome clubs yeah good hats off hats off
0: to you this is a euro so it's not about the clubs (laughs) anymore it's about the nations let's look at this these are the other big sharks in the lake as Mm, it were i like that italy fish spain Belgium and with their glorious generation that's been talked about since time immemorial and the Netherlands you can never write them off even though they don't seem to ever win anything nowadays but where would you go because again this tournament is too big for all all four of them isn't it
1: to win yeah out of the four of them I guess I'm probably the most excited about watching Italy Uh, just because they're kind of a new fun Italy under Roberto Mancini. They they play, and I know we have said that before about Italy, that they're more fun than before. It isn't a completely (laughs) original idea but it's they have played a sort of pretty forward-thinking 4-3-3 formation under Mancini. They've scored a good number of goals. He's calling up sort of, if you look at their midfield, they're they're good technical players rather than sort of roving warmongers that we've had in midfield for Italy before. And uh, Verratti might be injured, but like Lucatelli can come in. He's also a very tidy player. So this is a team that will try to play football much more so than it'll look to stop the opponent. And that hasn't always been the case with Italy. Uh, and also, intriguingly, I feel like if they have weaknesses they are weaknesses that are kind of traditional strengths of Italy's if you look at the defence we touched upon it with Portugal I wonder a little bit like it'll be Bono most likely who are still good players but they have two pretty attacking fullbacks and p- particularly on the left Spin. gets all I forward a lot he's fun and, yeah. and I, but I always worry like Center halves can go on and be very good for a long time. But as they get older and they lose a bit of pace, what they really don't like is being isolated one on one. And if your fullback has run away, that is kind of what happens on the break <laughs> a lot. Uh, so, 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 yeah, attacking fullbacks, slow center halves is always something that worries me a little bit. Uh, but crucially, the big discussion with Italy is probably going to be up front. Uh, where they don't, again, the sort of number nine character, such a traditional strength of the Italian national team. Ciro Moble, great as he has been for Lazio, never truly convinces for Italy. And, And I guess same with Bellotti, who, God bless him, runs a lot, but maybe lacks a bit of that sort of finesse that you look for at international level. So a lot of good ball players in this team, but maybe not the kind of edge in front of each goal that we're used to seeing from
2: Italy. I think that's the question, really, whether uh, Immobile and Lorenzo Insigne step up from being two of the best players in Serie A to being two of the best players in this tournament. If they can do that, I mean, and the quality's there, Mm. but if they can do that, then Italy are in business. Because as you say, Lars, I think the back half of the team... Takes care of itself. Goalkeeper, defense, the midfield's unreal. You know, it's it's one of the best midfield's in the tournament. Even if Verratti probably will miss that first game, as as you say. But you know, you look at Donnarumma, twenty-two-year-old goalkeeper. who's played mm-hmm. two hundred and fifty games for mil- Milan. <laughs> it's it's remarkable. And so they have that mix of experience and excitement. And I think even the older players, like some of the other older players, like. Insigne and Immobile. As you say, they're relatively young in international terms. And, you know, they've been kind of reborn under Roberto Mancini as well, which is important. A guy who, and I made this point elsewhere, is not one of those big managers who's marking time doing this job until the next big mm. club job comes up. He would have given anything to, to, to be the Italy coach. He's been that and he has made the most of everything. Every moment he's brought so much to it. Remember, they, they didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup, so he started from a pretty low point. And since 2018, well, since 10th of September 2018, they've not lost a game. Mm. It's, it's remarkable. I had to discuss on radio the other day how, um, the last time Italy lost a game, I was 41 years old. I'm now 44.
1: <laughs> 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 but, but, listen, brutal, right? <laughs> but the caveat, and n- far be it from me to be the sort of wet blanket of the pod, uh. The caveat it, is that, the caveat <laughs> is they haven't really played anyone good in that turn, in that period. They haven't played a lot of strong opponents, mm. and with this new sort of more positive, freewheeling Italy team, that's fine if what you're doing is sort of thwacking Kazakhstan in a qualifier. Then yeah, fair enough. Mm. But it will be slightly different here, and 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 again. Yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, of course, you expect them to win the group and you expect them to have a good tournament. But that—that uh, that is one of those things. Will this sort of much more positive front foot Italy work when you come up against stronger teams? I mean,
2: we're going to find out in the first game. We'll come to Turkey later. Yeah, yeah. But that is, that is a game what a f- test. fraught with danger. I agree. If we talk about Spain... What a weird start to the tournament they've had. It's a tradition
1: now, though, isn't it? You have to have some sort of madness in the Spanish camp.
2: But they're the new Dutch. Is yeah, that yeah, all the yeah, same? Yeah, 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 yeah. Although I, I have the to Dutch say, the
1: Dutch are also the new Dutch. I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I have to say, on sa- on to
2: sacking sacking a coach on the eve of a tournament it's hard is hard to beat. Is, is is hard to beat? I mean, what they have got is they've got a very prepared situation because, just to reiterate, um, Sergio Busquets, last Sunday night, it was announced, had COVID and was being removed from the squad for the moment. This is an issue, A, because of missing Busquets himself. He was the captain after Sergio Ramos didn't make it. Most experienced player, the guy who sits in front of the defence and maps out the game for them. They're, They're kind of, I guess, steering wheel on the pitch, I guess, is the way the Brazilians would describe it. And... That's before you get to all the, the, the training knock-ons. The fact that um, all their team have had to do individual training um, because of contract tracing from there. Uh, Diego Llorente is, is, is another one who's, who's gone down with, with COVID. Now, up until 24 hours before the first game against Sweden, they can replace these players. So th- that's that's something that's possible of course, you already would have had replacements in the squad had Luis Enrique actually picked 26 instead of 24. Uh, they were the only team to choose to do that. But, you know, having individual training where the, tra- the players have to do that in the run-up to the first game, it's like as far from ideal no bueno. as, you, as you, you could possibly... Exactly. And then <laughs> Sorry, that was you, have, to, that. you have the twist, very Kanye West. Uh, then you have the twist that because they can't fulfill the fixture... Of the last friendly fixture with Lithuania on Tuesday, (laughs) they put um, out the under-21 team instead, who are amazing (laughs) and absolutely belt Lithuania. And so now they've got this parallel squad of 17 players who are ready to step in and replace any who fall out with COVID. So after Luis Enrique said, yeah, we don't want to choose 26. We want to choose 24. We want to keep it all nice and tight and, you know, just make sure everyone's involved. He's got the most dispersed training he could possibly imagine. And, you get the impression that the the, the Spanish were a little bit on edge anyway, because Luis Enrique is quite a confrontational character. Clearly there's the non-picking of Sergio Ramos, which I think is, you know, I think anyone reasonable thinks it's justified because of injury. Exactly. Um, But it does leave an experience vacuum. There's a question over whether he does know his best 11 anyway. Then you've got the friendly against Portugal, the last friendly that the first team play against Portugal last Friday, where you have this bizarre situation with, Alvaro Morata, where he's going to play a friendly at the Wonder Metropolitano, um, the home of Atletico Madrid, who he still, strictly speaking, belongs to. He's booed throughout the game. Mm. Um, Atletico fans chant about how rubbish he is. Um, he misses a few chances, and um, then he hits a crossbar in the in, in the final minute. I still think he could be an interesting player for them. But then you've got that tension. You've got the tension where this journalist, about a week ago, says to uh, Emiric Laporte. So um how Spanish can you actually be there? Are you really Spanish enough to play for this week? <laughs> and so so he's gotta deal with that. And then yesterday you have Geordie Albert just unloading everything. So he he starts out saying, Well, do you know what? When we sold Suarez to Atletico. I thought it was a joke. I, I, I I thought someone must be joking that that we gave him to a title rival. But you know, he shut a lot of mouths and he did great. You know, whoa, whoa! Everyone's really on the edge. So much about Spain feels combustible.
1: So you would say, Andy, that uh, Spain's preparation has been a bit like the sweet aisle of a corner shop that hasn't been restocked in a while. It's it's no bueno. (laughs) (laughs) They've run out. <laughs> it's a very common
0: problem. So, good jokes. Um, the issue, though, is that they're under pressure, aren't they? That's the real <laughs> issue, though. Lars, good good jokes uh, is very charitable, well, but I'll no, take it. No, no, no. Everybody enjoyed <laughs> oh, that. Listen, Everybody yeah. enjoyed that. But um, they're under pressure. They're, they're under pressure. This is why the whole thing does seem a bit disjointed. You know, they don't know their best team. That's that's shocking, actually, for Spain. And given the number of issues, apart from COVID, that they're having to deal with, to throw that in as well, yeah. they're a mess. So,
1: yeah, so it's difficult to talk about it seriously, not just because of the ramifications of that joke, but also just because, again, all of this stuff has thrown the preparations into the air. Like, if things were normal, if they have been training normal, no COVID, everything going on, I would be sort of, yeah, but also you know, he's brought in some younger players like Ferran Torres is coming in, Dani Olmo is coming in, like Pedri's had a great season. Maybe this can be if not a tournament that Spain goes all the way in but maybe a starting point for a new sort of generation the sort of the tournament where you kind of say goodbye to the sort of tiki-taka gods of yore and sort of say okay this is where we're going this is what we're doing and Luis Enrique has there have been occasions when you see that he's added a little bit more because they again sorry i interrupt myself they again sort of became like a parody of themselves if you look at the game they went out of the, the World Cup in like I think it's com- Russia yeah they completed over a thousand passes alright, they had extra time in which to do it but like in that game they completed more passes than Russia had in their four games before that like or up to that so it was a nonsense like it it became Joe you know, when they were conquering the world, like there were some critics who were saying, Oh, it's so boring, it's all sideways pass it wasn't all sideways passes. But watching that game, I saw the Spain team that the sort of haters saw a few years earlier when they were winning. Like it was nonsense. And and it's clear that Luis Enrique has been brought in with a remit to give them more focus, make them a little bit more direct. You know, you gotta harness the extraordinary technical qualities that you have in the team. And of course they're gonna keep the ball, like you're not gonna play you know, this Tony Pule is 50-50 football with Spain. That wouldn't make sense because of the players they have, but make them a little bit more direct. And they have the players to maybe do that. And maybe this can be the start of something at least.
2: So we've talked about the the, the fake Dutch. What about the real Dutch? Well, yeah, let's do the double Dutch, as it were.
0: How much the time do ones? we have? <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I, I, I've tried to cast Frank de Burr in my mind as a, a Ramon Dominic, uh, a, yeah. a mocked and diminished coach who perhaps could uh, take his team a little bit, deeper than many think possible yeah. I, d- I don't think they've got the hardest group and I think on top of that clearly there's there's no Van Dijk which is an issue but there's still a lot of quality in there Memphis is absolutely flying at the moment which I think is really important and he's sort of we saw in the friendly against Georgia the the, the beginnings of this little partnership between him and famed anti-vaxxer Val Weghorst um maybe maybe that could work I don't know I personally think Memphis could play up front on his own. I, I don't necessarily think that's an issue, but they've, they've, they've got options.
1: Yeah, it's like, the, it's the easiest thing in the world to make fun of Frank De Boer's, uh n- n- misadventures the last couple of years. I thought you were going to say anti-vaxxer. Well, then, yeah. I, I don't think he's an anti-vaxxer, is he? No, no, no. no. We are no. talking about vehicles Yeah, of course. There's yeah. um, <laughs> a tar Frank DeBoer with, <laughs> with, <laughs> <what, laughs> the, with the veg horse crush. I, 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 was,
0: hearing, um, I was hearing his lawyers shouting oh, yeah, in my ear. No, I'm Andy. i sure you want to go there. Good yes. God. <laughs>
1: no, but no, it's the, it's the easiest thing thing in the world to look at Frank De Boer's career post IX and just make fun of him and say oh this terrible man who doesn't last anywhere and was dreadful in MLS and this sort of thing
2: there's a lot of bad choices in there yeah uh, or, but, anything, but there? I just
1: think going into the tournament now it's more interesting to try to look at, okay, but what could be good here than to just make the same old jokes about how bad he's been and, and, and to see what is good about this team, what could work. And and I think this thing, he's been annoying a lot of people in Holland by playing a 5-3-2 sort of formation. But, but I can see the logic betwi- behind that. Because if you look at the squad, what they don't really have is great wingers. Like You you associate the Dutch with great win play. But if we accept now that Memphis is more of a forward uh, than a winger, which I think if you ask him he'd say that's what he is. Uh, they don't really there's no wide players there but you look this guy has to be in the team. So okay, we can live without the wingers. That's not our strength. Maybe think about playing wing backs because it allows you to to play about host and have a proper number 9 next to Memphis up front for him to play off. You still have that trio in the middle of Frankie the Young, Vinaldum and probably de Ron covering for them, which will give them license to go forward. And you you have a back three. You have an extra center half which in the absence of Van Dijk is maybe not the worst idea in the world so there is a logic behind this formation whether the Dutch like it or not and I don't know there, there are the ingredients is there for a good team I completely understand and anyone who looks at Frank de Boer as a coach and has very little faith in his ability to find that team and get the best out of it but I am also think it's, it's mean and unnecessary to, to sort of write him off and write them off entirely
0: Let's talk about the uh, the Belgium team. And every every tournament, you expect this Belgium, this generation of Belgian players, to do something amazing. Not only do they have, you know, one of the greatest footballers in the world in uh, De Bruyne, but also. You know, on his day, once upon a time, Eden Hazard. Not to talk about the great season Lukaku's had in mm. Italy and so on. Where can they go wrong? But they always seem to go wrong.
2: Is it with well, their aging defense? Well, you would its a good question. And you—you you were talking about, you know, we seem to say every tournament is it going to be for this generation? I've got good news for you. No one will be saying this after this tournament <laughs> <laughs> because this, this generation is coming to its end. It's got to be now or never. Mm. I, I think that's the thing for them. I would expect them to win the group. I would expect them to go further almost with Belgium because they've shown what they can do in the back end of competitions before. And whether we're talking about the failure against Wales in the quarterfinals in Euro 2016, or whether we're talking about them falling really quite agonizingly short against that France defense in in 2018 in Russia, we just need to know that a little bit more almost they can be brilliant in the groups and it's not really going to tell us anything. I think that's the issue. The defence, I do have a concern about. Because they are so old. And I think you look at the wing backs as well. Carrasco's had a brilliant season for Atletico. I think Lars and Roberto Martinez worked on that plan yeah, yeah. extensively over, over several coffees. Got him on, at a, got him on speed dial. A, a, a Jason Derulo concert. <laughs> but on the other side... Thomas Mounier has had a really quite dreadful season with Dortmund, and they're still reliant on him to do something. Then you have the questions over De Bruyne and Azar, and I've, I think one of the big triumphs that of Roberto Martinez's um, reign that he's not really got credit for is the fact that he's managed to let two players who should be ringmasters coexist in the same team mm. and get the best out of them. That that is not easy, and he's done really well. De Bruyne, of course, is going to come back and he's going to be great. I think there's so much pressure on him and Lukaku though, who has had a, an amazing season, an absolutely amazing season. He's a player who was already a great player. who has been transformed and has, has gone up several levels. I think he would be a good shout to be top scorer for this tournament. And I think he could really fill his boots I, in I this group. I think you've got a point there. He looks as if he's really enjoying it. Oh, this well. is his time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we talked about Donnarumma before. I mean, just to underline about Lukaku, and again, an early starter, 60 international goals, he's only 28, which is um, amazing. The the question for me is Azar, because he is a player who could take them up a level further. The the issue there is, what are we going to get out of him? Do do you get a good 90 minutes out of him? Do you get a good 70? Do you get a good 30 or 20? We just don't know because he's been so inhibited.
1: I mean, I would almost be tempted to just like not, play him much right? and, and, and get, you let Carrasco and Dries Mertens use the, take those wide positions when De Bruyne's not and actually use De Bruyne in one of those attacking positions with Carrasco or Dries Mertens on the other one and then I guess you can give him like half an hour against Finland or something but just based on what he's done for his club side we don't have the benefit of watching him in training maybe he's looking very sharp and and, and hungry and not in that way uh, in, in training going into the <laughs> tournament that, that is possible But I just think, based on what he's done for his club side on the last year, and based on all the injuries he's had, I know he has been a huge player for them. But that's not the area of the pitch where they're in trouble. Like there are other really good options who have had much better seasons.
2: Yeah, speaking of their um, old man defense, though, I probably should say, in defense of Jan Vertonghen, played uh, more minutes than anyone else for Benfica this season.
0: Yeah, I heard that. I actually heard that stat because... He, you should have the little, summer off, really. Well, no, he's an old Tottenham boy. You know, he knows how to put a shift in. And he's
1: and good. Everything. He's had a great career, but, like, the guy's not very fast anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe they don't need the speed. What you said about Hazard, though, mm. and I take it that you have got Roberto Martinez on your speed job. <laughs> that is a it, joke, it, by it, the way. It, it would take a brave, I really don't. It would take a brave coach to leave out... What is essentially like De Bruyne, a, a national hero in football?
1: Maybe, but I also think you can just say the guy hasn't been fit all year. Like I have other good options. I think that's a, that's a completely res- respectable <laughs> position to take. But I completely also understand why you would want to give him every chance to rediscover some kind of form. But it's a long time since we've seen Eden Hazard be Eden Hazard now. Th- that's just the reality of it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, man, can really see that. The Dutch defenders have have it Total day. Vi der er forsvar, de er ikke meget plads, og derfor er det
1: flot, de Jeg er klar, at vi kan spille os igennem. Kan der glas med en på midten, så der kommer John Jensen. Ja!
0: Ja, 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 John levet!
1: Nej, 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 nej! Jamen, jamen, jamen!
0: Of course, when we talk about tournaments, there's always some dark horses to talk about, potential surprises looking ahead. And I can't resist... Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba! The Turkish Delight, I'm talking about. And given that they have such a strong league, I can't understand why Turkey is not always up there as a serious
2: contender when it comes to tournaments. You know, you took me back there. I was thinking of one of the first times I did a game from the commentary booth at the old White Hart Lane. You used to have to go round the back of the stand opposite the main stand, and there was this metal spiral staircase that was covered in bird shit that went all the way to the top and once you'd made your way to the top you were so isolated you were so high up but at half time a, a, a little old man came up with a bottle of R. White's lemonade and some genuine <laughs> Turkish delight and gave it to us. It. It, was, it was magnificent was White's R. White's <laughs> other lemonades <laughs> are available apparently i them for you uh, that's true but look I think there's a huge amount of excitement in Turkey at the moment because they feel that they've got their best squad for a generation maybe more um, of course a lot of Premier League watchers will look at the defence um Ozan Kabak who probably won't start Mary of Juventus will start in, in, instead of him um, you've got Zeki Celik um, the, the Lille right back has been brilliant all season I'll be not surprised at all if someone big picked him up um, Burak Ilmaz uh, and another one of the Lille players is, you have this Turkish triumvirate with him and Yusuf Yuzuzu, um in midfield um, and Burak has been amazing this year and it's not just the goals it's not just that he's scored the goals that's taken Lille to the championship his all-round game is better than before you know people who have followed him in Turkey for years I think he's an unrecognizable player mm. and you know he's a better player at 35 than he was at 28 29 which is, is is remarkable and he had that little break in January February when he was injured and I think that little breather gives him more of a chance of being really effective in these euros he's faster than you think at that age I think he poses a real danger to to Italy and you were talking about Speed and how that might be an issue for yeah. them, especially without a without covering fullback. I think that'd be an interesting theory to test against uh, Italy. Last, also you look at those big guys in in defence and how they could contribute for, from set pieces. The delivery from Hakanshelenolu mm. and Yazuju mm. is is something else. So you've you've got a lot going for Turkey, and of course a coach in Senor Gunes, who took them to a World Cup semi final in two thousand and two in his first spell.
1: I, I guess with Turkey, a lot of good players on paper and and some good results in, in, in reality as well. Yeah. Obviously, th- tonking Holland at home and, and beating Norway, by the way, the much heralded Norwegian team in which they were so much better than us. I mean, yeah, we, we, enough, we, we, we were lucky to get out of that with a 3-0 defeat. That could oh. have been really ugly. Um, proper men against boys stuff in midfield in particular. But then they draw 3-3 with Latvia which i there's no excuse for under any circumstances. i don't I don't understand why these things happen, Andy, and you know this team better than me, but they just seem to have occasional days when it all just goes wrong for completely inexplicable reasons.
2: Yeah, and you know, we can talk about um, public expectation. They're one of the countries that are most fettered by that, you know, that there is huge reaction and overreaction to everything the national team does. So maybe that's an issue. I do think it's interesting. That they're not at home to prepare. I I I think maybe that makes a difference. They're they're in they're in Azerbaijan preparing, and like most of these teams, of course, are at home with what the exceptions of Wales, Portugal, and a a couple of others.
1: Yeah, it is interesting that point because when you look at Turkey, like you you've touched on it, Dalton. 80 million people an incredible passion for football. I mean, you could argue that historically, this team, these country's underperformed a lot, not just internationally, but even on the club stage. There should be a more, you know, uh, dominating sort of uh, footballing culture in 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 the world. Well, but, but, think- but that, I mean there's so much passion there just ask Alexander Zolot and his Instagram account he had
2: to stop people spamming him to come no, back to Trabzon oh, didn't yeah he. He,
1: Alexander Zolot uh, of formerly of Trabzonspor and now misfiring a little bit at RB Leipzig posted a completely sort of banal photo of him jogging in a Norway a training kit uh, on a Norway training sort of like yeah internationals baby and and and, and, and he got three million comments <laughs> okay. <a> <laughs> <laughs> which is not normal I don't know how up you are on social media three million comments is big for so lot there's <laughs> definitely more comments than he usually gets and they were all Sport fans so he had to tweet please like I, I appreciate this but leave me alone he also had to change his phone number because they got a hold of that as well so he's, his WhatsApp went mad.
2: Really? Wow. Yeah,
1: but, so, but the point being, I guess maybe that sort of pressure, like you say, can be an issue as well. Yeah, draw against Latvia, lost home and away to Hungary last year in the Nations League. Like stuff like this is just yeah. weird when you look at the quality in the team. So, fingers crossed. We, we'll, I guess that's the thing. Like whether you reach the semi-final or not, it depends on the look of the draw. It depends on who you come across. What you really want to see from a squad like this is that they go into the tournament and play as well as we think they can do. And then the chips will fall where they will.
2: Yeah, I think that's, sorry, I was just going to say, I I think that's the interesting thing with the development of Turkish football. When you think that their first major tournament is Euro 96, then... They get to the World Cup semi-final in 2002. There's, there's no gap between that at all. Mm. And then when you fail to hit those unreasonable heights afterwards, there's overreaction. Mm. Uh, and, you know, you add that to quite a combustible football culture anyway, that's, that's difficult. I mean, talking of rebuilding, though, the, the, the Czech Republic, I think, are an interesting dark horse because... we talked about the the, the early part of the 21st century. They should have won Euro 2004. Mm. You know, let's get that straight. They're amazing. Mm. I'm not suggesting this is quite the same vintage as then and in fact, nowhere near. But if you look at the spine from Slavia Prague and you can kind of include Socek and and Sufal who've done so well at West Ham to that because they, they came from there as well. Then you throw in Yankto, Patrick Schick, players who are You know, we talked about um, Belgium being a bit older than you think I mean those two guys are 25 now Mm. they're not young players who deserve to be mollycoddled and earmarked as stars for the future now they have to start producing something now I mean do you think they could do anything in that group? I don't know I
1: find them hard to analyse because i have got quite a lot of players who play in the domestic league still and I'm very big I keep repeating this in my other sort of pre-Euro work you should never write anyone off just because they don't play in a big league we've got so many examples of that being stupid but it Mm. does mean it's harder for us to sit and assess them because we don't watch them a lot uh, we only see them now and again in Europe. And of course, Slavia Prague have had some really good European adventures. Famously this season, knocking out Leicester and uh, knocking out Rangers. But also 2019 and uh, knocking out Sevilla that time. Mm. So, so it's happened twice now with Slavia Prague. Clearly, that's not a fluke. Clearly, there's good players there. And uh, I guess I can say I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the team because that's a hard. That's, I find them harder to get a read on. I am also, you know, push for time, but I'm going to press on I am excited about Denmark. I think Denmark have could do well in this tournament because we've talked about it earlier and we're coming full circle here. What usually serves you well in a tournament is being solid, uh, not messing up at the back, having a solid base, and then you get the goals whether it's from set pieces or penalties or wherever you can find the goals. If you look at this Danish team, you've got Kasper Schmeichel in goal. Simon Scher has had his best season of his career, I would argue, at Milan. Andreas Christensen is back in the in the action of Chelsea, so he's coming in nice and match fit in the midfield. Thomas Delaney of Dortmund and Pierre-Emil Aubiag from Tottenham really beefy sort of central midfield who sort of run around and kick people all day and then you've got Christian Eriksen who's been back in the frame at Inter which means A he'll be in decent nick but also he's kind of had a break but by just being out of the team for a while so he's he's, played really well as as well so physically he should be in a much better place than quite a lot of other players at this tournament I think and they're playing at home yes they've they've, they've got group games at home so I I just think the concern is up front I mean Yusuf Poulsen and Martin Braithwaite will start I'm sure those are good players but maybe not sort of notorious thoroughbred goal munchers Uh, but and and then who the third is I genuinely don't know, spoken to someone in the Danish media, they don't really know. It might be Jonas Vin from FC Co., it might be Kasper Dahlberg, who's not had a good year. Um, So we're not, where the goals are coming from, I'm not quite certain. But there really is a really solid, solid core there in that team. And I think if they get, you know, if they get some breaks and the draw is kind to them going forward, I, I think they could do well.
2: You guys nearly got through all of this Mammoth Europod pod with, without going full Scandi enthusiasm on me. I'm impressed. Well,
1: well, you, because there's yeah. no time for me to just go <laughs> talk about Finland, which I could do for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> and God I've, bless I, them. I, They're I, in the tournament. I am excited.
0: And I've been saying Lash, all the podcasts, so you didn't think that was Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. So finally, with this feast of football ahead of us um, with the Euros, we ask both of you to recommend a game of the week. Uh, you've got too much choice, actually. Your cup runneth over. Really does.
1: I mean, Scandy bias time. Obviously, Denmark Finland is the highlight of uh, of my weekend. But I mean, I can't, in all seriousness, say that it's the game that has the most sort of repercussions for the tournaments. That is a hard case to make. I'm I'm really interested. I mean, I might be stealing Andy's pick now, but but Turkey Italy just because Turkey. It's kind of everyone's dark horse because you look at that team sheet and we've talked all about it. I want to spend more time on it, but it's so much exciting stuff there. And this Italy team who are fun Italy, but again, they haven't played a lot of strong teams under Mancini. And and, and does it work when they come up against the sort of solid uh, block of Turkish delight there? We don't really know yet. So I'm really interested in how that game pans out. And I think it might tell us something about both teams.
2: Andy? Uh, Obviously, I should go for France-Germany um on tuesday but you're gonna be watching we pick that a anyway. game from
1: tuesday that's not game it's game of the weekend
2: isn't it Our come weekend. on andy the, the thing is there you're, are you're so going rogue there are, there are so many games <laughs> it's difficult to know what the rules are anymore <laughs> so that's why i didn't go for that one I'm, I was a... I'm gonna go for uh anyway for for netherlands versus ukraine on sunday night yeah, at eight better. o'clock if you still feel like watching football and <laughs> England fans depending on what happened against Croatia earlier I think it will be really interesting um, because the Netherlands need to get off to a good start I'm quietly optimistic that they will win the group however Ukraine are not to be um, they're, they're to be reckoned with I, I think is, is is the way to put it um, Shevchenko has done a really great job there as, as coach be, um, they've got four points off Portugal in the group finished above them them in Kiev with 10 men um, they've got a lot of interesting players of course you know all the regulars but I would say as as well you, you have to look at uh, Ruslan Malinovsky in midfield who's been great for Atalanta in recent months uh, Roman Yaremchuk who's been scoring a lot of goals in Belgium I, I, I think we'll have a very good tournament probably get bought bought by someone um, in a more storied league I think this is quite a difficult game to call it will be very exciting
0: This was a Stack Production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.